Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who feels like we let Taylor Swift down, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, I wish I knew more Taylor Swift lyrics to uh, to really run with this pun. I just know we're never, ever, ever... Um, I don't know. I, I, actually, I don't know, Gerald. There, there's some bad blood between um, both of these teams, and they each had the love story of being what I think six and one in Taylor Swift games. Uh, that's the game immediately following a release. I thought Texas was going to be at advantage until I realized Oklahoma State is the certainly the bigger Swifty demographic, and you know that means something. I'm not here to extrapolate meaning from it. I just give the cold hard fact. It seemed like Texas had the opportunity to really have a Cinderella story, but it seems like the clock hit midnight, and uh, now there's some blank space. Those could where... those could all be songs or not. I don't know. So Midnight's was the album that just released. Ah. Uh, Cinderella Story was not. I could have gone with Enchanted. Enchanted was a, an album. It was a song from like 2010. And Blank Space is from 2014. But um, that's neither here nor there. I like angsty, poppy, country-ish T-Swift. Like that was always my T-Swift jam. I don't know why. Probably because it played on the Texadelphia radio when I was working <laughs> in Texadelphia. Uh, it was like on the 80s, 90s, and today mix that they made us play. Um, but that's fine for those of us who, for those of you tuned in for uh, football uh, updates and, <laughs> and ended up with Taylor Swift. Just shake it off, hang with us. Um, we'll, we'll we'll get there. If you weren't here to hear about either Taylor Swift or my sordid uh, employment history in the city of Austin, it's fine. <laughs> we can do a separate podcast about that called "The Random Stuff I Did." From 2004 to 2009. Let's talk about some football, Kyle. Yes, yes. Let's let's talk about some football. Let's slang some cheese instead of cheese sticks. Let's get it. <laughs> let's do it. So Texas, stop me if you heard this before, had a second half lead but was an, unable to do much to open and really in the second half at all, gave up the lead and the win, snatching defeat from the Jaws of Victory, 41 to 34. Um... This was the most infuriating game I think I've seen in a very long time. More so than even like the Texas Tech game, I think, because Texas had a lot of opportunities to take control of this thing. And and this is a recurring theme, and you and I have talked about it, and we've been banging this drum for weeks, whether it was Big Bertha 1 or Big Bertha 2. Um, Texas, the offense, is unable to land a knockout blow, and it hadn't really cost them yet. Maybe you could say against Alabama, but Alabama did what Alabama does. Um, it cost them against Texas Tech on the road, and now once again cost them uh, to uh, Oklahoma State in Stillwater. And uh, those filthy, uh, filthy, filthy Cowboys came away with the win. Obviously, Texas did not play its best ball. Quinn Ewers played really terrible football for the first time we've seen him uh, in burnt orange. The defense, we're going to talk about the defense. Defense and how um, blaming the defense is a little bit of a is a little bit of a passing the blame to the wrong group, but we'll talk about that later. We'll start with the offense. The offense, um, I think, the conversation has to start and stop with, with the pass game and what the heck was happening. I live in Oklahoma, if you don't know that, and it was a very very windy day, talking 20, 22 miles per hour. Uh, but Quinn Ewers was nineteen of forty nine for three nineteen, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Wide receivers had trouble spotting the ball in the air. Uh, Worthy was targeted 16 times, had four catches for 78 yards and a score. Jatavian Sanders, six receptions for 76 yards. Jaleel Billingsley sighting, two receptions for 33 yards. And our boy Brennan Thompson, one catch. What a nice little wide receiver screen. Uh, gave credit to the blocking on that for his pop. But let's be honest, you got track speed, and it translates to the football field for 32 yards. I never anticipated 
the passing game being the one that I was like, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed when looking at this offense. Uh, but that's that was the case on Saturday. Ewers was not what we had seen him be in the past. Apparently, there's a there's an issue with his fingernail, which people are making fun of that, but that's a legit thing for quarterbacks yeah. uh, on your throwing hand. And then, obviously, crazy wind on deep shots. I, I wish there may have been some adjustments in the approach from the, the routes that they were having him throw, potentially, but that's all past. Um, when push comes to shove, the offense was not good, and it showed, especially in the second half. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Billingsley was was a welcome addition. It, he had uh, a couple targets early, like in the the first quarter on the first drive. I think he had two targets in the first couple minutes, and I, and I thought that was you know if the script works the way they want it to, that could have been an interesting um, weapon. It, it seemed like when when Quinn just badly missed the first two throws of the game, and and one of those being intercepted on on you know, early third down. Um, you worried something was off, but you say, you know, maybe it's that slow start again. Maybe it's the ULM. He just needed the pick, and then he, he locks it in. Um, and he did, admittedly, complete uh, his next pass. And then, he, like I said, missed Billingsley twice. He completed four consecutive passes after that. He completed one for zero on a fourth down. So we'll, we'll count that one, I guess. Um, but that, the 30-yarder uh, to Xavier Worthy, a touchdown to Xavier Worthy, and a 23-yarder Jordan Whittington, it seemed like, okay, this point in the game, he's five for nine. Like, there were some things. The interception, it was weird. He never completed two passes in a row again the rest of the game, Gerald. There was never two consecutive passes after that. Um, there were, you know, multiple times that that two or even three consecutive passes went incomplete. Um, you know, it, it, it was it wasn't it was odd. I mean, it just it truly, in every sense of the word, was odd. There was there was points where you know announcers started looking at overthrows, and I don't know if it's fair to do that because it's it's the same thing we we give you know, uh, heaps of salt and caveat to pro football focus grading linemen, right? Like you don't know always what the assignment was and who blew it and who, who was right and who was wrong, right? You can guess, you can look at it and you can try to tell the same thing for the wide receiver, right? Was it a, you know, was it a read route uh, where, where they, they were on different reads? Was it, you know, truly a miscommunication where they ran different routes? Um, was it supposed to be delivered on the outside and it was or on the inside and it was on the outside or, or whatever it was? It's hard to know. You know, Sark will know that. Um, the the offensive staff will know that when they're breaking down and, and bashing over the head this film um, for the next couple of weeks. But it did feel like there was something off between the chemistry with multiple receivers. I mean, honestly, all of the receivers um, and Quinn Ewers, which is not something we expected right he's good friends and roommates with Xavier Worthy I don't know if they had like a fallout over the game um what's the game the kids play where you build things and shoot uh shoot from tops of your large towers uh Fortnite, Fortnite. I don't know if there's a Fortnite fallout Kyle's an old I am an old I've never played Fortnite actually um I don't do uh, on MMROPGs, massive, whatever that. Quit trying, quit trying, it's fine. Yeah, I don't do them. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. They're both, I think, sponsored by Fortnite. But, you know, four catches for Worthy, great. You know, four of 16, not great, right? Uh, 25% of his targets were converted into catches. That is bad receiving. That's bad route running. That's bad quarterbacking. All of those things, right? And it wasn't just like he threw to Worthy and everyone else was great. I mean, it was all over the field. It was it was, it was was his worst game. There's no sugarcoating it. The wind was a factor. The fingernail surely must have been a factor, but ultimately, it just felt like the... I don't know. Like the... His ability to be easy, you know, laissez-faire the ball 50 yards down the field is something we've sung praises about him his ability to kind of have a blank face after an interception and think, alright, he's going to go back out and make it happen, and he, he has in the past, and so those are things we've credited to him, when all of a sudden nothing's working and you're unable to break that, then it, then you start reading <laughs> body language and, and assigning things onto the guy, so it's, it's hard to know exactly where it is, right, come out of the bye week and, and make this a one-off and, and, you know a lot of that conversation <laughs> goes away um, but there are no two like ways about it, right? Whether he was a a three star, a four star, or a perfectly rated five star, it was a bad game. It was a bad game from the quarterback, a bad game from the passing like unit in in total point blank period. Yeah, there's no two ways around it, and so much of this isn't on Sark. So much of this isn't on 
the coaching staff or the offensive line. This is just on the passers and the catchers, right? The, there's a lot of conversation around blaming Sark. And yes, like the the court, the coach, and obviously Sark is a quarterback coach and AJ Milley is the quarterback's coach officially. But like so much of the talk is about f- giving them fault. But some of that is just on the players not executing, right? Quinn Ewers locked in on his first read quite a bit. And that's why the two of the three interceptions happened. The third one was just... Jatavian Sanders, it was a little too high, hit him in the hands, went through his hands. Like, that's not on him, that's on Sanders, right? But, like, so much of that is not on Sark. Now, yes, there's the argument, like, you got to have your players ready to execute. But also, like, there's no amount of execution that can get a player out of his own head. There's no there's no amount of coaching that if a player's not going to respond to the coaching that you can do. So, yes, that is part of Sark's job. But additionally, like, when the players don't do what they're supposed to, the shots were there. Right. Xavier Worthy was eating some of these dudes on these deep routes and he couldn't find the ball because of the wind or he couldn't find the ball because of the placement. Casey Kane was open about three or four times on some deep shots and Casey Kane missing a deep ball is becoming a, like a meme almost like you could take a shot if it if when it happens and you'll be OK. Um, well, you won't be OK. You'll probably have a little buzz by halftime. That's fine. But like so much of this is not on the coaching staff. So much of this is on the players just going out there and not playing well. Now, you could say that, like, why didn't they go back to the run? But I think the first five carries of the ha- of the second half were, like, for 11 yards. Like, Oklahoma State clearly adjusted to what Texas was trying to do with the zone blocking scheme because Bijan went off early, uh, 24, ca- 24 carries for 140 yards, and a f- uh, including a 42-yard touchdown. Uh, he had one catch for 41 yards and a touchdown. Roshan, five carries for 72 yards and a 52-yard touchdown. So a lot of that yardage was floated by two really big, big runs from either of those guys, right? Like 23 carries for a hundred yard, 98 yards, right? Uh, is not necessarily a great clip for Bijan. So like there is, um, there's something to be said about the Texas offensive line playing really well in the first half and getting beat in the second half, right? Like there's, and some of that's Oklahoma state adjusting some of that. And well, I'll talk about this again and bang the drum, but like Junior Angulao's ghost looms like Macbeth's father in Macbeth. Like anytime I see them struggle to run the ball in the interior, I shed a single tear for Junior Angulao's ACL, right? Like Texas had to pull a freshman guard and replace him with another freshman guard because Junior Angulao was injured, right? So like, we're not saying that loud enough. And the same thing goes for the receivers. Like not having Isaiah Nayor here in this lineup is hurting Texas. And so I'll talk about expectations and and, and tempering them uh, in the second half, but like there are legitimate structural things that would be different about this team if those two players are there. Now, obviously, you have to play the hand that you're dealt, right? You have to play the hand that you're dealt. It's week eight. Those are things. So those are all if, ands, and buts, right? And if you wish in one hand and spit in the other, one's going to fill up faster. But I think as we think about Texas and the progress they're making, there has to be like an asterisk there as we talk about that. Sure, every team in the country is dealing with injuries, but specifically if you had a guy that you couldn't, like, you just didn't want an injury to. It was your one upperclassman, you know, well, I guess Christian Jones as well, but your one upperclassman who has good tape before this year. Jones has certainly made some improvements. Um on an, on an offense where you knew you were going to have to be young, right? Losing that has, has hurt. Um, yeah, when they pull a freshman guard when, you know, he's he's in between levels, right? He's not kicking out the first guy, but okay, let Bijan beat that guy. That means you need to go to the second level and attack the linebacker so that <laughs> Bijan beats the first guy. Then he's got the second level blocked and can spring. When you had multiple runs like that where you just weren't, you know, they were they were pulling and they were, they were really successful to counter. There was more there, right? You talked about... You know the the yards per carry could have could have been much better even in the first half um, if they were finishing blocks if they were executing they 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 did block pretty well uh, in the first half but very clearly that counter play that was working that was there um, you know give credit to Derek Mason the experienced coach and coordinator and 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 Gundy and staff they they adjusted to it and said let's see what Texas has and it didn't feel like Texas had a counter. Not, pun intended there um, to to their uh, adjustment and so. Yes, we would have liked to run the ball. And yes, Bijan was making things happen in the second half when they just pinned their ears back. They said, well, Quinn's not accurate enough to beat us right now. Um, either he's going to beat us deep or they're going to try to run and we're going to be downhill, ears pinned back and stop that. And you have to have, you know, that that next 
that next tap dance, right? Like whether I don't know, Gerald. I'm curious to hear your opinion. Whether it's going back to the thing that you hated, like run a little uh, Rojo Wildcat, or even you know run it with it with the other options that that it can afford with the pass or something out of it. Um, bringing in Hudson Card for a series, maybe you run something crazy with two quarterbacks on the field. I don't know, um, but just anything to, to to switch it up a little bit when it gets that stale. I understand. Sarkis is saying, "I have one quarterback. He's my quarterback. You have all the faith in this freshman. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, put, plant my flag." But when <clears throat> they're coming after the run games where you don't feel you can run, you know, uh, confidently, um, when when you're unable to hit the deep route and inter- even even eight nine yards, you're, you're overthrowing them. Just accuracy isn't there. Like, should should a little personnel, you know? wiggle have happened there i mean what, what do you think it's like there are two schools of thought here and i think they both have merit but part of i think part of my frustration was the inability to get quinn to take the check down or to take the easy route right like he is a gunslinger through and through and so trying to get him to go against trend will often make him not as good as he is you'll end up like a jimbo fisher quarterback and overthinking things and you don't want that that's the worst thing that could happen uh, it's playing like a jimbo fisher quarterback but i think there is and a lot of people wanted to pull Quinn Ewers for for Hudson Card, and I think there's some merit to that. We saw it happen in um, with Clemson, and, and it turned out to be um, it turned out to work out for them. You know, thanks to the refs a little bit as well. But that's that's another conversation for another day for Clemson. For me, the question that, that the coaches have to adjudicate is like, do you rock with the young kid? You pick the young kid. Do you rock with the young kid for good or ill? Or do you play this quarterback shuffle? And that's part of what they did last year. And it seemed like Sark hated to do it, right? Then he said it over and over again, like he's not going to do the quarterback shuffle. Quinn is his guy and he's going to rock with Quinn for better or for worse. And I think if you're going to trust Sark as the coach, and some people are not trusting Sark as the coach right now, and I think that they're they're well within their rights to do that. Uh, But that's the decision that he's made is that he's not going to pull Quinn and he's going to let him hit his head. Because I think... People wanted to. People kind of wanted to see some of that last week against Iowa State, and then Quinn threw a dime to go to throw to score the go-ahead touchdown at the end of the game. So that that's part of why you rock with your young kid is because he sees that he can do that. So uh, I I don't have a decision or a right answer for that. I just think it is a it is a lot easier to make that call when you're sitting on your couch drinking a beer. Right, it's a lot harder to make that call when you've got 85 scholarship players in the locker room. You've got three, you got two quarterbacks at the top of your depth chart, and you're trying to manage that. It's a lot easier to make that call when you're sitting on your couch uh, from the comfort of your living room. I mean, that's a really great point, right? It it, it is a really great point. Um, Sark will forget more about developing quarterbacks than than you know we will learn in our you know our entire lifetime. It just you have to think he knows something, right? Like you have to think he's betting big on this. And, and you're right. The stakes are much lower for, for armchair quarterbacks. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was just curious. I, I, I don't know. Hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't know in the, in the moment that I had a play that I was just trying to, you know, shake vigorously at the TV that, that this is, this is nine yards every time run it. You know, I, I don't know that I, that I had that. Um, a lot of analysts from their Twitter seem to, but that's fine. Um, Here's the thing, Gerald. All of that said, all of that time we just spent talking about the offense, the deficiencies, the blocking, the the quarterbacking, the receiving, the the miscommunication, the the not running the right plays, not always having complimentary football, whatever it is, not taking advantage of field position. We'll talk about that. At the end of the day, with an absolute turd of a game, just not good, Texas was driving until that final interception with a chance to once again send a game to overtime that they probably, you know, had no right uh, making happen based on the, the the few minutes right before it. Um, but, you know, to their credit, they muddied the game up on the other side of the ball, messed up Oklahoma State's offense, didn't look, you know, great either. And it was two teams that, you know, purportedly are top 20 teams that were kind of just, eh, you win it, you win it. You know, it was not, no one really sees control of the game um, as Gundy you know, game called games often often are, and you know that's what makes it that much more frustrating. Is is we didn't love the Iowa State victory, the the game sequence, the way it played out, but man, we praised the fact that you got to win ugly and still teach some things, and that's great. Would have loved to have two of those in a row. Uh, would would love to win pretty and and have that, but um, you know, like it it was still there for the taking. This would be a very 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 different narrative if Xavier Worthy on one of Ewer's best throws of the day 
makes the adjustment, get, looks, you know, looks up, gets his hands out, locates the ball, whatever exactly happened on that one, and catches a touchdown where he's wide open in the end zone. You know, when the game is is tied uh, with with Oklahoma State ultimately getting one more score in the game that was the difference, like. <clears throat> that's a different ball game if that happens we're having a different conversation so it's it's you know it's all perspective we would certainly be still critiquing things if they pulled this out or if they sent it to overtime whatever but it's just frustrating because it was there for the win this could have been a top 10 win or i guess 11 top 12 win that um they didn't play their a game like an offense that in no way did they play their a game like maybe give it a c plus like it was not anywhere near their 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 best stuff and they still scored 34 points right like the the upside to this team is there we know that and that's why the frustration sets in because you know how good they can be if this just had no talent we wouldn't be so frustrated days later thinking about rewatching, looking at stats looking at numbers that that wouldn't be the case um I don't know. I, the, the team just needs to be disciplined. They need to execute. They need to stop having pre-snap penalties, and they need to uh, yeah. complete open passes. Like, do that, and you're right back to beating everyone in the conference. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the, the penalties thing because it's like a narrative that I'm not super in love with because, like, yeah, the I think the like I'm more frustrated with the defensive calls than I am with the offensive calls, right? Because Oklahoma State had zero called defensive penalties, mm-hmm. right? Like they can talk about the ones that were waved off on the offense, but like not calling a single penalty on the defense is fine. But like offensively for Texas, like it was five false starts in a holding penalty, mm-hmm. right? Like false starts are not a judgment call. That's not. That's just you not holding your water when it's loud, right? Like that's what that is. Like you can't really get upset about the ref throwing a flag when the offensive lineman moves. Now, I don't know how they call the false start of the center. That's usually a snap infraction yeah. rather than a false start, but that's neither here nor there. Like, and defensively for Texas, like six of the eight penalties um, gave them first downs, right? Like that's, that's the crux of it. Like you gave them six extra first downs off of penalties and the other two set them up with second and short or third and short it's the penalty discrepancy is bad right especially with taking into account the fact that this is the most uh number of penalties and the highest uh yardage of penalties since the 2020 oklahoma state game slash the 2015 oklahoma state game it's like things get weird against oklahoma state that being said like that's part of how gundy coaches his teams right that's part of how Gundy game plans it's like he's going to do things to get you off of your game and let you shoot yourself in the foot and Texas for the last 12 years has been very willing to do that very willing to say that now the 2015 game was was a I've never seen anything like that like yeah that was the game where Charlie got chest bumped yep. by a ref and the ref flew through a flag yep. it's like that was iffy but again part of what Oklahoma State does to you is just let you quicksand yourself on penalties, and that's part of what it is. And, and look, I will be happy when we leave the Big 12 just like OU to never go back to Boone Pickens Stadium again. If we ever have to play Oklahoma State, put it on a neutral site. Um, the, the There's like six yards of space total around the field that they share on four sides. It's It, it makes for great home field advantage when they, they slap their little slappy sticks um, and they're a foot away from the players' heads. That's cool. Um, it's not as cool when players get pretty serious injuries by running into the brick wall, which is, again, a yard... Cough Deontay Foreman, cough Deontay Foreman. A yard off of you know the field um i i I, like i honestly think they they should look at it i don't think it's particularly like safe for players but um i would be happy to never go up to stillwater ever again it's just you know you have to stay in oklahoma city to find a decent hotel anyways um as the team did this time and, and take an hour bus in but yeah just just be done with it hopefully this is our last trip there ever um hopefully no one else has to go up there and get hurt um because of their you know good for them they created a home field advantage with 60,000 people because of the way they designed their stadium. Great. Didn't necessarily think about player safety. But anyways, um, yeah, it, it, I think the false starts, I think the uh, the offsides, right? The, the hard count was a part of their, their design. Um, but the false starts, yeah, give it to crowd noise. But it's just, you can't do it. Like, again, that's where having more <laughs> maturity and seniority on the offensive line probably helps, right? Like, it probably helps. And the last thing I'll say for them to call one of the very few holdings they called all game on that Quinn Ewers rush. And Christian Jones, honestly, I thought a pretty good pancake. If anything, just, like, leave it at a no call. Um, you know, uh, uh, tough when it wasn't like he ran off that tackle either. Like, it was not what sprung that. But Quinn Ewers, who isn't a runner, when the game was on the line, when he wasn't able to throw, 
made a play with his legs. 33-yard run called back. If you want to quibble with one, that's one that you certainly can quibble um, a bit over. May have had an impact on the game. But again, it wasn't the refs that lost the game. They called the penalties on Texas that happened. They had a bunch of false starts. It's terrible. They maybe called some on defense that were, eh, they maybe could have called a couple more on Oklahoma State, but good on them on not having, you know, 50 obvious ones where they, they had to call 10. They, they maybe had two or three, and uh, they didn't call all of them, right? So it is what it is. Penalties did not lose this game. Texas should have won in spite of a lot of sloppy play. The way Alabama beat Texas, you know, with a lot of sloppy play and and some interesting penalty calls. Alabama won that game. Texas lost this game. You have to be good enough to win when you have, you know, a lot of penalties and you're not in your your A game. Yeah, and I think the the two stats that that really stick out to me are this is there have been two games where the Texas offense was held to less than or contributed less than two points per drive and that's Alabama and Oklahoma State right in both of those games the defense was good not great right like 2.28 yard uh, points per drive is actually a really good number you want to be right around 2.2 or 2.5 like somewhere between there right it's like that is a good ish number for them it's not crazy high like you've seen other teams like Tennessee they managed to beat Florida Florida when giving up three and a half they beat Alabama giving up almost four right so like compare those things right the offense could win that game if they were able to just get it and then um, Bill Connolly drops if you're not a Bill Connolly person not advanced stats person you can just fast forward like 30 seconds so like when you look at adjusted completion percentage for Quinn Ewers right so that takes into account drops and batted balls 54.8 54.8 completion percentage, right? Like there's a big, like 20%. It's like a, or a 16% jump. If there are a couple that don't get bad. And part of that, um, look, it talks about him not looking for easy passes, right? Like, because when you're looking at the difference between let's just compare it to Spencer Sanders, right? There's a 5% difference between Spencer Sanders completion percentage and his adjusted completion percentage. So like, it seems like Quinn Ewers made things harder on himself than it needed to be. And part of that is locking in on that first read, right? Like not looking where he needed to go, not going through his progression, which is something that he's done. And part of the reason why he won the job, but long story short, the Texas offense was not good enough. The defense got four stops to start the second quarter the second half, and the offense was unable to do anything with them outside of a field goal on a short field. And so we'll talk about the defense here on the other side of the break. When you take it just as itself, right, the defense looks like they didn't play that great of a game, right? 30, 30 or 41 points is a lot of points, um, but there's a lot of nuance to that conversation to be had, Kyle. I think, again, we, we've been hyping up. Pete Kwiatkowski holding opponents to 21 points or 21 points or fewer in all but two games up until this point. Now it's all but three games. Um, part of that's being on the road, but um, it for me, I was less frustrated with the defense than I was the offense. Like let's just put it that way. Of the units that I think answered the call when they needed to. Um, obviously the defense didn't uh, gave up, you know, a scoring drive. Like there's bad tackling on the go ahead touchdown for Oklahoma state. But when you hold the opponent to three punts and a field goal to come out of the half and all your offense can do is a three and out field goal. Cause you got a 30 yard return from Xavier worthy. Like, again, we talked about it in, in the offensive section. We talked about it last week. We talked about it week in and week out. The defense comes out of the locker room, playing really hot and the offense does nothing to reward them. And so they get worn down. And when you get a worn down defense, it gets an offense that's going to push the ball down the field. An offense that has a quarterback that lets he's a fourth year senior, fourth year starter who can operate that offense really well. Like those things are going to happen because again, it's a much different game state. If Texas is able to come out and put up even a touchdown, coming out of the locker room. They didn't even need to score on all of the drives. Give me one extra scoring drive. Give me a long drive to give the defense a break. Like, do something. The defense was on the field entirely too much based on what the offense should have done in that environment. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the defensive line was elite. I want to give them credit and and say, you know, um, as much as I don't watch games just for my Padstradamus, they... uh, they, Gave up one big long run, right? There was a, um, I think, a 51-yard run. Um, if it wasn't for that, they would have given up 
39 carries for 91 yards, 2.3 yards per carry, right? If you take away that one, they still were very good even with that one. Um, they wore down a little bit. Again, this is a, a game where they were on the field for 100 plays. Like, you just don't want that. Um, it, it wasn't going for fourth this time. That wasn't what did it the way that it, it was before. It was something different than the tech script. Um, but nonetheless, I, I, I think, you know, they, they did some really good things. Um, I think they they showed up better on third downs than they have in the past. They, they, there still was some room for improvement there. Um, but it was an improvement. They showed up better. Um, they, you know, had some some nicks and some injuries. They had a couple pass interference calls that you know could be morale boosters. There was there was a pass interference call that set up a goal line shot. What did they do? They turned around and made a goal line interception. Ryan Watts gave the takeaway. Like they made winning plays. Like Gerald said, they set up you know short fields. They defended to put the offense in position where, again, if you get that game script different and you capitalize on that, then the defense can do the thing that Oklahoma State, we said their defense was able to do. They can pin their ears back a little bit. They can change up how they play, right? They just didn't have that complimentary football. When when I tell you they ran the ball 40 times, Gerald, you think, well, surely they Spencer Sandler's only had the chance to throw it 20 or 30 times. Nope. 58 drop, 58 passes. He had more dropbacks than that because we sacked him a couple times. But 58 times he uh, he threw it with his arm. Um, so that's a lot. Uh, quite a few. That's yeah. quite a few. Um, if it wasn't for kind of Quinn Ewers' uh, inaccuracy, you know, you'd be talking about a uh, tough game for Spencer Sanders. Just barely hit the 60% completion percentage there. Like it wasn't great by his standards. That's a good game. That's on the higher end of some of his games. Um, 390 one yards certainly is nice um they did have some of the tackling issues that you haven't seen for a while that's the part of this whole defensive performance that concerns me again on the field a long time you get worn down you have some backups in there due to injuries i get it sure but we really haven't seen that this year where there was a single point of failure and that guy went for the 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 shoulder tackle with no wrap-up it wasn't you know one guy who's out in the open making the downhill sure tackle, holding him up until the team can get there. That that didn't happen. Even Jamison, who he's saying his praises so much about the fact he wasn't giving up any yak because he he's not the world's biggest best tackler. One thing he sure does is he he just grabs onto guys and doesn't let go. He does a kind of circle thing where he swings them around a bit as well and usually lets other guys come. This, this game he had one where he just kind of grab the waist like to grab the flag and then let go and let the guy run for 50 more yards um and that's tough right like we we haven't seen that so when you talk about a bye week thing for this defense there's obviously some scheme there's obviously some you know installing something really good for what k-state can do with deuce vaughn and and uh mr martinez in quarterback but i think you know there's a little bit of fundamental focus too right um yep. why have those tackling things reared their head um you know why are you it third and nine with your your heels on the you know uh, on the nine yard to go like i don't know there was a couple things that i didn't love but all in all i think the defense probably played winning football given the circumstances right given the fact that they're on the field like yeah it's a lot of points and it's a lot of yards but this team ran hundreds plays plus like that the stats aren't going to be real nice in this new era of football when you let a team run over 100 plays. That's just plain and simple. That is what it's it just is. percentages at this point, right? Like it's just an, a matter of they're going to do more because they played more. And again, the defense was on the field too stinking much. And there's no there's no other way to say that now again. And this is going to be an unpopular thing, but Texas held them to less than 50 percent on third downs, right? Like they managed to get off the field. So I don't think third downs are the thing. I think part of the defense's issue is that. And again, I'm going. We're just going to say this: like the the dam is going to break eventually, right? That's that's what you're saying, right? The, you run enough plays, you run enough water through that thing, and the levees are going to break eventually. And that's the struggle of modern football, and that's why complementary football is so important. That's why you and I talk so much about the offense landing a knockout blow because that shifts the game state. That shifts what Oklahoma State wants to do. That shifts what Texas can do defensively, right? Because Texas really, and I'll just say really excels at playing the bend but don't break defense. And you're able to do that more effectively when you're up 14 points, when you're up 
21 points because the offense has put up some decent scoring drives in the second half. And we saw yep. it against West Virginia, right? Texas get played really, really soft in the second half, and it shortened the game by about a third, right? The, the, the game was so much faster in the second half because, well, I also think West Virginia just wanted to get the heck up out of there. But because they were able to stay up and the offense was able to keep up momentum, the defense was able to say, yeah, take the, take the four-yard check down every drive. Take the six-yard check down. We'll give you a couple of first downs, and we'll get you on up out of here quicker than we would. You'll run more plays. We'll run more clock. We'll keep you between the hashes yep. and in front of the, the, the goal line. And so part of what Pete Kwiatkowski excels is that kind of defense. And so the offense needs to complement that better for the defense to be maximized. We have not really seen Pete Kwiatkowski's defense able to play the game it wants to, save for, again, West Virginia, maybe OU, right? The OU game is, a, is an anomaly because of, you know, not having Dylan Gabriel. But I think outside of West Virginia and maybe ULM, the defense hasn't been able to play the type of game that they're really built and equipped to do because the offense isn't holding it up its end of the bargain. Bend but don't break doesn't necessarily work when you're in a shootout, right? Because eventually the yeah. shootout's going to break you. You're going to land a shot. You're going to land a haymaker. And so that's why we talk so much, and that's why I harp so much about complementary football. Because, again, when you're holding the opponent to 2.28 points per drive, that is a winnable number. You don't have to hold them to a shutout. That's not what modern football is. You don't have to pitch a shutout. You don't have to hold them to two scores, right? That's not modern football. Being able to hold them to two and a half points per drive is good when your offense is able to clip because we've seen Texas hit three and four points per drive under Steve Sarkeesian. We've seen it happen. So to me, again, Part of it is is obviously we want to see some we want to see some better tackling in some spots. We want to see the offense, the defense capitalize on. Um, they got credited with a bunch of pass breakups that should have been interceptions, right? We so like there's part of that as well. Like Spencer <laughs> Sanders gave you a couple opportunities to to grab That's grab true. a few interceptions that you couldn't capitalize on. So we're not saying the defense played a perfect game, right? There were breaks that the defense could have made for itself. But when push comes to shove, right, they played good enough to win the game, and the offense didn't hold up its end of the bargain. That's a really good point, right? They they I think at one point the running count. Uh, we had in the BON Slack was was five, you know, could have been interceptions. Now, some of them would have been really great plays, right? It would have been like wild plays, um, but still got hands on ball, could have been interception, um, I think was five, may, may have may have finished higher than that. But um, take with a grain of salt, right? 19 drives is a lot. That's a lot of football. But 19 drives, they still had... They had six three and outs they forced, right? They, they forced uh, more than 30% of OSU's offense. They forced uh, three and outs, right? In the, in the second half, when Texas's uh, offense went punt, 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 field goal, punt, punt, missed field goal, interception, interception, um, you know, they, they also held basically four punts to start, gave up a field goal, right? Like they were, they were there, and then they gave up a touchdown. What did they do? Immediate three and out. Like they, they, there was a chance where they said, "All right, all right, okay, okay, we settled down. Here it is, offense. You go." Um, even, even again, like I said, that defensive line was so dominant that you knew there was a chance the way they used the timeouts with a minute twenty-three um, that Texas offense could make something happen. Um, a minute, I guess, after they got the punt uh, down, but you know, they they effectively got the ball with a minute twenty-three, played their timeouts, get three runs for six yards, stuffed them in the middle because they're dominant up front. They had a minute. To, to do something because the defense stood up tall. You have to make those tackles. You, you don't, you see so many games where your team is down and the defense has to make that stop to give you one more chance to get the ball back. You're going to use your timeouts where they end up giving one up and give up the first down. The defense didn't, they stood tall yet again. Um, so, I mean, it, was it perfect? No. Did they give up a couple touchdowns? Yes. Um, did they at times make Spencer Sanders look, look better than, you know, Spencer Sanders sometimes is as a passer. Sure. You know, those interceptions would certainly tell a different narrative if they had three of them, right? Um, but at the end of the day, as weird as it is to say, 41 points could have still been winning football. You don't want to be in 50 to 41 shootouts a lot. You don't want that. Like, that's just it's tough. But that's the style. When you score quick, as our offense has the capacity to do, and, and when these games are, are being extended like they are, then... It is what it is. I do want to give a shout out to a couple different players um, who, who showed up again with some injuries around. You know, we relied on a couple guys. Jade Barron, twelve tackles, one and a half tackles for loss. 
Uh, DeMarvin Overshone at times in this game was was elite. Eight tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, a quarterback hurry, a pass breakup. Ovi had seven tackles and a pass breakup. They had him dropping a little bit more. They were running some things where uh, you saw Ovi kind of get in zone drops. And so it was an interesting thing. I haven't really seen a ton of that from him. Um, don't I wonder if it was schemed for this week or that's something in the future. Um, we'll see. But anyways, um, you know, saw the, the, the other safeties. Keaton Crawford had seven tackles and a pass breakup. Taffy, who came in for the injured Anthony Cook when he broke his arm, had six tackles and a pass breakup, and, and that pass breakup was, you know, a diving interception he almost made. So, um, you know, uh, good good on, on players stepping up and, and, and making some plays. I think Sweat had three pressures. <coughs> or he had two pressures. Gilbo led the team with three pressures on those little corner blitzes. Didn't quite get home, um, but definitely, you know, flushed Sanders out of the pocket a couple times. So they sacked him a few times. They intercepted one. They could have had more. They got a couple pressures to, to, to muddy things up. I think they, they did some good things. Um, again, you're, you're telling a different story and an overall different outcome if the offense plays that complimentary football. We talked all last year about the defense not playing complimentary football for the offense. We've seen a couple times, without a doubt, where if, if one coordinator is mad at the other, let's point the finger at the offensive coordinator. Wait a minute. That's Coach Stark. Um, so, you know, what about special teams, Gerald? It seemed like we were pretty good there. All I'll say is that Jeff Banks should get somebody's game check, right? Like, <laughs> he's compensated pretty well, but I feel like uh, yeah. PK and Sark are probably compensated better. So maybe he deserves one of their game checks. Trejo played a – after we were critical of Trejo, the machete, last week. Granted, some of that may have been aided by the 20-mile-an-hour win, but he averaged 42 per punt had four inside the 20 had one uh that was inside the one yard line had um no punt return yards on that uh big kick return was fine average 27 per that punt return average three for 56 is floated by that one big one by xavier worthy that set up the only texas score of the second half burt auburn big miss that was just a i, I don't know what happened there like the snap and the hold were fine i think he just pushed it like i don't necessarily know what happened but sark said he's gonna rock with him continuing through the year but again i think the special teams unit was very clearly the best unit on the team on saturday and that's not necessarily a winning recipe unless you're like playing beamer ball and that actually worked out for um south carolina against a m but that's a separate conversation for another day quickly podstradamus update it is tied now nine to nine with an asterisk kyle will continue to exercise uh, the fact that he's got a couple in his back pocket he can exercise but kyle had four players going uh with 50 yards or 50 receiving yards or more and o- oklahoma state going less than 90 rushing yards that Again, I think 20-mile-an-hour win was not necessarily a winning recipe for that. Somehow, Quinn Ewers went over 250. I didn't say anything about interceptions or completion percentage. Um, and Texas <laughs> held Oklahoma State to less than 50% on third down, but it didn't necessarily matter because they still gave up 41 points and lost. Yeah, and, I, and I'll just say, right, the game plan was there. They threw to, to Worthy a lot, sure. But the game plan was there if, if you know Ewers doesn't lock in a couple times on some people any of those completions basically could have pushed uh, over because Sanders and Worthy both went over 50. Bijan only got one catch. He did have four targets, but only got one catch, 41. It's like, oh, easy money. Give me give me uh, one more catch for, for 50. Billingsley, any of his other targets push him over 50. Uh, Brendan Thompson gets one more look. He probably goes over 50. Jordan Whittington, five targets, one catch. That was the tough one. And there was a... Uh, a fourth down play where you squeeze it to to try double covered Bijan instead of a wide open Whittington that that you know maybe right there alone he he gets the uh, gets the money uh, for me so you know I think I was right I think we were both right um, that if those four things happened we would have won unfortunately mine didn't happen and we didn't win so Gerald you need to be rooting for my Potsdamus to come true so that we win games because this selfishness of you wanting to beat me is costing the team. It, it seems like when you go two for and I get one is when Texas, that's usually generally that's the, the sweet spot for Texas, <laughs> um, which I need to build. Like maybe we can do some bye week ones and see what happens. But uh, so yeah. we won't have a preview episode or a recap episode this week because, well, Texas is on a bye. So hopefully they can get out of the bye week without a loss. There's a way to lose a bye week. We've seen it before, but hopefully uh, we'll be back next week with a preview of the Kansas State Wildcats. So now's the part of the show where we whip around the more successful teams on campus and we down the 40. Let's start with a tower lighting. Kyle, number 20, 
three. Texas soccer clinches their second ever Big 12 conference regular season title. The first time in 21 years that they've been able to raise that trophy. Big ups to the lady with ladies with a 2-1 win at Oklahoma State. Finally, somebody can win in Stillwater. Yeah, um, actually, I think I think all the uh, the other teams, the, the important ones that really mattered, uh, won won in Stillwater in the past week, week and a half. So, uh, but soccer doing it. I mean, that's that's a good actually Oklahoma State soccer team that they beat, um, and in in doing so, clinched the their first Big Twelve, their second ever, but first Big Twelve conference regular season title since two thousand one. Um, so this was a long time coming. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that Gerald and I have been really bullish on the recruiting class they got two years ago and kind of the change in culture where Texas went from, we want to be competitive, we want to have a couple good players here and there, we can, you know, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be good to let's win this conference and start setting our sights higher. And that was because they went out and started getting, you know, national team level players. And then there's multiple of them on this squad right now. Um, this I was so excited. Lexi Missimo got her first start back in this one um, after over a month being out. And so it was great to, to have her play uh, and help get that win. Um, she's such an important part to what this team does. But Trinity Byers was amazing as well. And the whole squad is deep with, with you know, all Big 12 caliber players, right? If they don't have six plus on the first and second team, there's something wrong. They, they are really deep, really talented um, it can hurt you a bunch of different ways, but just just a really fun team to watch. And again, not to toot our own horn, to toot beep beep, um, but we we have been intentionally spending a lot more time uh, talking about this team and kind of really making sure folks were were ready for this. So you shouldn't be shocked if you listen to this very podcast that it came because Texas doesn't lose in conference. In fact, their unbeaten streak in the Big Twelve. Uh, 716 days since they last lost a conference game in November of 2020. They went the entire season this year unbeaten and almost all of last season. In fact, this year alone, 15 straight unbeaten with 11 wins in that run. They've been really good. Their only loss coming uh, to number two, North Carolina. So this is a team that has real upside real tournament aspirations they still have one more game in this season they clinched it with a game in hand but this is uh this is just so well well deserved for coach kelly and and the the players and it's you know a combination of a really young team they have some super seniors who came back because they believed in this team uh savannah madden of course being one of those in in goal um and just you know it was awesome there was a video of them where they found out the other things that happened in the Big 12 standings where um, Coach Kelly could be the one to break the news in a team huddle that, in fact, they did have, at worst, a share of the Big 12 title against them. All they need is a draw in the last one or someone else to lose, and they'll be outright champions. But uh, at least a share was guaranteed, and she announced it to the team. And watching them scream and jump up and down and be excited and exhilarated uh, was just amazing. It was fun, and, and this is a team that's really, really easy to root for. This is what you really like hope for. Texas has a shot uh, to extend its unbeaten streak to 16 games against rival Oklahoma at home. A lot riding on that game. Uh, excited to see it. It always feels good when you can um, achieve your season goals by beating your, your big rival. So I hope to see that happen on Thursday. And then the Big 12 tournament starts on Sunday, the 30th, and will extend through that week through the 6th. So we'll obviously keep you up to date with that as well number one volleyball dropped its first match of the year they're guaranteed to drop one big 12 match and it was iowa state this year uh they were the last undefeated team in the nation texas won sets one and three struggled um let, gave iowa state a couple of big rallies right to to win that one the fourth set was close but they came back and swept west virginia on saturday i think the most annoying part about this is that they dropped to number two with a single loss which i think is ex- extremely silly Kyle yeah I think there's only them in Nebraska there may be Louisville as well that are left with even one loss right there's not many one loss teams there's not even that many two loss teams but um, it, they've been unanimous number one for 
well over a month, like no one else getting votes. Like it was very clear that they're the best team. And in a game where, again, you're up 24 to 20, you just need a point to close it out. And yeah, it sucks. You gave up the rally 6-1 to lose that one. In another match, you lost your two losses in in, in your you know full sets were 27-25, very clearly close where the other team just rallied late. And again, you, you don't want that to happen, but it feels like it's kind of it's kind of harsh, right? To to you were unanimously number one, and now you're number two for one loss when you have the same record as Nebraska. But I get it, Iowa State, good, not great. Though the the Hilton magic does reign. This was a game Texas should have or you know should have won, and they didn't. So just go dominate everyone else and, and get the number one spot back. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing with the rankings, right? Is that if they went out and continued to just roll through Big 12 play like they have been. They'll be back at number one. The rankings don't matter, right? Once you get to the, the tournament, just win all your games and everything else works itself out. When Speaking of winning all your games, they'll be back in action, uh, welcoming the Texas Tech Red Raiders to Gregory on Wednesday, and then they'll have Kansas State uh, on the road on Friday. Uh, men swimming and diving decided to... Um, Go in and dominate one of our favorite opponents. If, if we love to beat OU, I think it, we enjoy beating AM just as much. So the men absolutely blasted the Aggies 220 to 80 and then edged out Indiana 155 to 45. The ladies were dominant, not quite as dominant as the men, though, 209 to 89. And then they actually uh, were dominant over Indiana 200 to 100 points. So a, a great week in the pool from the Horns. 209-89 is still an absolute domination. They dominated oh, yeah. the Aggies, both both men's and women's. Women won nine events. Men won seven events, but it came down to the last one in the in the uh, Indiana duel in the final event. It was the 400-yard freestyle. Indiana had a had a lead, um, but Texas's Daniel Kruger brought it home on the final leg, and they edged the Hoosiers 252-45 and 45. Uh, tenths to 252.90. I mean, it is a, a reach of a hand difference. It was actually, uh, think back to the Garrett Gar- uh, Weber Gale Olympics, uh, you know, relay where he's going nuts uh, with Phelps uh, finishing in the pool. Um, so it was a close one. It was a fun one to uh, to see Texas stay perfect, both men's and women. Those you're, you're looking at probably when the rankings come out, number one and at least a top five team on the women's side. So as always, Texas swimming elite continues to be elite continues to help uh carry texas's entire texas's uh, i won't say entire fall because obviously volleyball by the way uh, a&m was ranked 14 and they beat them that bad just throwing that out there so next up for them uva uh in two weeks on november 4th and 5th in the lee and joe jamail texas swimming center uh, number eight Women's golf finished fourth at the Stanford Intercollegiate Championship. The leaderboard, uh, number one overall, Stanford took it. Coming in second, Iowa State, San Jose State, Texas, and Baylor rounding out your top five in that. Texas had one player in the top five uh, and just an average outing from the rest of the group. Yeah, I I think everyone was good. Um, Everyone could have been better. When Bo Park is your your low score, that means the rest of your team's playing well and you know that she'll play even better um, if she could have had her regular kind of uh, day than or Sophie Guo, one of those you know two could have could have been a little better than plus four, which again is is good. It is not bad. Um, maybe they could have moved up the standings just a little bit, but this did have five of the top twelve teams in the country, eight top twenty teams uh, competing. So they finished, you know, they finished well. I think they finished around where where you would expect, right? You know, five top twelve teams. They came in fourth. Um, so it, you know, good showing, not not great, um, but it closes out fall golf for them. They'll 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 next. Uh, compete back in the spring and I think it was a good fall they know some things about this team but they know they have a little bit of work to do as well and consistency for this team right they had a couple where they made big moves on final rounds and it just you, you think back and like ah if y'all started a little hotter you, you win that tournament so it's a little bit uh, f- for them I think just consistency in the spring let's see how it goes so that closes out fall golf for them next up in action in February at the Northrop Grumman Regional Texas baseball started off fall ball with an 18 to five win in 14 innings 
over Houston. It always confuses me as to why they play like super long games in fall ball, but uh, Texas had a lot of opportunity to get a lot of guys playing. I guess maybe that's the reason why. That's it, right? Like it wasn't like one guy got 10 at bats. I think uh, Eric Kennedy was the, was the lead with seven uh, in this one. They like to get a lot of people at bats, let the freshmen play, you know, swap some guys out, see all your arms. I honestly think more than anything, you want to get a bunch of pitchers, right? No one's throwing more than three innings, but you had Duplanty through two, so Murphy Steely through two. So, you know, it, it, it's a time to get a bunch of guys uh, involved. You see a lot of the young guys. There were some really good ones. There's a, there's a player who I really like um, coming up. His name is uh, is Jalen Flores. He's a freshman. He's going to be probably play either, either short or third. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but he looks like a future superstar. I mean, he looks – I don't know if it's just, you know, the Hispanic uh, player uh, from – uh, a little bit uh, central uh, away from uh, the, the the baseball hubs of Dallas and, and Houston, right? <laughs> He's from San Antonio, I believe, versus El Paso. So I'm trying to stretch to make this the Ivan Melendez comparison here. Um, but he legitimately looks like he's going to be a star uh, in the making. So I'm really excited to uh, to see him. And then, you know, a couple, couple dudes – uh, stood up, one who we knew, and one who introduced himself. Yeah, so TCU transfer Porter Brown hit for the cycle. Four at-bats, hit all four, solid outing for them. Next up next up is San Jacinto College this Sunday. Free admission, so if you're in the Austin area, go have an afternoon at the dish. Softball closes out fall ball for them with Odessa College 21-1 to in 10 innings. An absolute uh, just hit show for them. Yeah, it's a great way to end it, right? I think there were some players you expected who, who who stepped up in their last one and I think put them in the right direction. After a, a, they did lose to Texas State, there was a little bit of question, but they came out and just did what you do in 10 innings, getting 21 runs. I think Bella Dayton showed she's going to be a superstar for this team who's replacing a lot this year of talent. Um, three for five with uh, two runs, double, triple, six RBIs. Jordan Whitaker hit a ball. I think landed in the baseball stadium, just crushed one, um, a three, a three RBIs on the night, three for three, uh, for her, uh, Camille Corona, who's going to be really big for this team. I think that this was a good ending, right? Like you, you don't want to go out with a loss and then have to think about it the whole, or maybe you do, uh, <laughs> off season, but this was a good way to wrap it up, put a fine point on it. And they scored, scored a lot of runs this, uh, this fall, which tells me if the pitching can match, they could be a, uh, a dangerous team if they're just able to put up uh, runs every night. If you're able to be okay with that level of offense, I think you'll uh, things will turn out just fine for you. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college, college athletics, Big Bertha, whether it be Big Bertha 1 or 2, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle. What are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, if if, if you, you play a, a brief role-playing game with me and, and you assume you are um, any other fan of, of a Big 12 team, maybe you're, a, maybe you're a rival, maybe you're a team who, fan of a team who thinks they're our rival, um, where would you guess that Texas basketball notedly uh derided for their attendance numbers where would you guess that they rank in the in the kind of conversation for for attendance right like one to whatever 360 uh teams that are out there oh man somewhere in like maybe somewhere in the 60s okay that's fair that, that yeah I, i'm sure you know texas tech fans would, would guess we're number 300 um I, I i'm sure people would go 60s 50s 90s whatever um <clears throat> For all the trash that's talked, right, like th- that is that is said about this Texas team, and I'm giving a little teaser as we uh, will be recording our, our basketball preview in our next episode, and uh, I was doing a little research, and I just thought, why not tease this in this perfect bang the drum? Um, they were 25th, Gerald. That's not bad. That's really not bad. I mean, yes, they're Texas. Yeah, it's big. You, you could, you know, you, you could say all kinds of things about how football puts a hundred thousand in and, and you know, they did not put anywhere near that. And that's fine. That's fair. Um, but for everything that was talked and, and, and especially how, you know, Texas schedules, a lot was said about Chris Beard, not having the most exciting non-conference games that maybe people didn't want to show up for Northwest, uh, Southern Arkansas state, uh, technical college, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> I believe bitter white, white guy said, seeing them dunk on Make-A-Wish kids um, oh, in man. his uh, summation. We might talk about that as well. But, um, you know, knowing that the non-con isn't going to carry that, that means they, they, they did pretty well in conference games, you have to think. And then 
also remember they're doing the Gregory game, which is cool. I think it's a really cool thing that they're doing. Um, but basically because they, you know, if you factor out where they had a capacity, right? So they, they take that game out because it was only, a, I think Gregory's 3,000, 4,000. Um, if you take that game out and just look at the other home games that were in Irwin Center, they were 23rd. And the only teams that were ahead of them in the conference were Kansas, as you would expect, and Texas Tech, which Beard built a culture out there, right? That puts them at third in the conference for attendance. I mean, that's like Texas is a basketball school because there's a lot of schools below them who claim to be basketball schools, right? Kansas, I think, has the most attendance of any team in the nation. So take that one out for a grain of salt. And there are a thousand people less a game than Texas Tech. So, like, when they talk in all this conversation about how Texas doesn't have a basketball culture, yes, Duke has a small arena, right? They average, you know, 9,300 to to Texas's 12,400. Texas has more fans in the arena than Duke. Texas obviously has a bigger arena and has a bigger school. I get it. Sure. There's a new there's a new arena. Moody is open. I think it's going to move that number from 12,5 up even higher, right? because people are going to be excited. I think the way they're optimizing with the corral, with the home court, with the the fans on top, I think it can go even better and create a real home court advantage. But I just wanted to call out, it's not like we've been 70th, 80th, 90th, like the narrative said, right? We're Texas. People are going to take shots where they can, but we were third in the Big 12 in attendance. Like, come on. There's something to be said about the appropriateness of the venue, right? Like that number, that number of people gets swallowed in the Irwin center. Like that's where people Mm -hmm. go to see Bon Jovi, right? Like I was, couldn't Mm -hmm. think of another uh, non-problematic artist off the top of my head. Right. Uh, Bruce (laughs) Springsteen, right. Um, Whatever. That's where they have the rodeo. That's where they do concerts. Right. Like the Irwin center was not built to be a basketball arena. And that's why the Moody center is going to exist. And I think the appropriateness of the arena is going to impact and make everything that Texas is already doing really well, uh, just amplified. So I'm banging the drum this week on expectations. And I want to put the caveat on the front with this is I'm not here to excuse mediocrity. I'm not here to excuse missed opportunities. I'm not even here to say that Texas is necessarily different or better than they were last year or two years ago. Right. All I'm saying is I I think we have lost the thread a little bit, right? Yes, it's fine to be frustrated. Yes, it's fine to want better from Texas. Yes, it's fine to see all the breaks in the game that could have and should have happened. But when push comes to shove, a lot of people had Texas's ceiling as nine and three before Junior Angulao and Isaiah Nayor blew their knees out on the same practice field. Anybody that told you anything more than that was smoking crack, right? And you and I may have said that there was a ceiling that Texas could hit and everything had to go right for them. But like Texas was five and seven a year ago and they're in the bye week with five games. Now, again, five and seven is still very much in the realm of possibility. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think if, we, if we're having a conversation about where Texas should be right now with the recruiting class that they brought in, the offensive line is going to be better next year, right? The defensive line is going to have some questions to answer, but they have a ton of young talent, right? The trajectory feels like it's right. And maybe that somebody's going to take offense to that. And maybe somebody's going to turn off their podcast. Some of you don't even get to this point in the show and that's okay. But um, like, to me, I think we have to have a conversation about like, this is a team with a quarterback that hasn't played significant snaps since what? 2020, right? Like did not play anything, showed up to fall camp late last year. Like this is a team that's starting three freshman offensive linemen. Right. With their senior elder statesman who returned for another year to hopefully improve his draft stock sidelined with a knee injury. Right. This is a team that brought in Isaiah Nayor to raise the floor of the wide receiver group. And Isaiah Nayor is sitting on the sidelines in in street clothes because, well, he's injured. Right. There is a lot to be said about why the offense is where it's at right now. And excuses are like noses. Everybody has them. and They all smell. But. I think for me, I was frustrated. You could ask my wife. I was a pain to be around on Saturday because there was a lot that Texas could have and should have done differently to win that game. But I think as it sits right now, I'm not one of these people that's ready to fire anybody. And I don't think you should be either. You could be frustrated. But I think if you don't see the trajectory, then I feel like you're just not looking for it. 
you can find a trend any any which way you look at right and and the second halves and the road games are both things that have to change like no matter what they have to change you have to get better but when you're on the road when you're in the second half and the crowd is amped up in a close game that's when false starts from freshmen that's when a quarterback you know squeezing the ball locking onto a receiver just to make sure he he you know could throw it at the exact moment but it, you know, good good defenders follow his eyes. That's when you know uh, a lineman not wanting to uh, blow a game with a holding call doesn't go to the second level, and, and you know Bijan doesn't get the yards he needs to get the head of steam he needs. Like we talk about this team being young, but then we kind of forgot it. We talked about like Gerald said, this being a nine win team. Maybe we readjusted to eight win with with people being hurt, but then we forgot it because we beat Oklahoma by a lot of points, and the national media said you know we could we could make the playoffs. Um, I seem to remember Gerald say, well, finish your plate, eat your food. Um, first game, first game uh, back on the road, I guess we second game with Iowa State. Um, but first two games, they've looked like they choked down their food. They barely ate it. If they just do what's ahead of them, things are still there. It's still there. It's all true. Like if they just beat everyone who's ahead of them, it's all still there for them. Um, you just have to do it. And I think Gerald is right. Temper your expectations because they they likely won't. They likely won't beat everyone else who's left on their schedule. We kind of always thought that. Oklahoma State, when we did our season preview, was the game that we said, man, that'll be no bye weeks heading into like week eight. That's a long time. It's, you know, you have Oklahoma, then Iowa State, then then Oklahoma State just charged up games with, with especially those last two defenses that'll try to batter you. Like, none of this was out of the script as we we all said it as we tried to temper our expectations we got one little sip of kool-aid and we threw all that out the window so maybe it's a mid-season bi-week expectation check as much as it is a rehab for some of the injured players it's a rehab for the injured feelings of some of our fans set the expectations prepare to be you know to be overwhelmed rather than underwhelmed set them set them mediumly uh at best is how i how i suggest everyone lives their life also, just quit tweeting through it. Like, just put the phone down, walk away, take a breath. It's it's fine. But that's all we've got for you this week. Speaking of tweeting through it, Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter, at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pre-Gamer, at Texas Pre-Gamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter, at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, Pod at gmail.com. We will be back on Thursday with our men's basketball preview. And then on Tuesday with our women's basketball preview, we'll break those up to keep the show from being like four hours long. Cause Kyle and I could talk about both those teams and we've got some content holes to fill, uh, but we'll be back on Thursday with a men's basketball preview, previewing the number 12 team in the country. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time. Hook them. Hook them. Texas is a basketball and all other sports school. <laughs>